0: Hey, you, and welcome back to the Rhizocast with your host, Sue Hunt. You can find us at rhizomagazine.com or suhunt.com. All right, let's get right into this week's episode. Hello, Sue here, and excited about this Rhizocast episode. So I was able to sit down with five of Volume 1 contributors that were published in the Summer Solstice edition of RISO Magazine and talk to them about their creative process, a little bit about the work they submitted. Just a really cool experience to put the the behind-the-scenes process and the artist's voice to their work That you got to see in print and that you'll continue to engage with until Fall Equinox comes out. And honestly, I figured, you know, this will be a bit of a podcast experiment and we'll just let it rip and be super open on all the conversations and see how it goes. And it turned out amazing. And I was very excited to link them all together and share them this week on the Rhizocast. And in Go ahead and open the front cover of Rizo, And so in this episode we were able to talk to Avian Rogers, Becky Crotz, Elaine Christensen, Vanessa Lamorte, and Torin Nelson. And that's a cross medium there for what was submitted to Rizo and eventually published a little bit of wax work, um, painting, writing, some really earthly writing, some work with tarot, and poetry. So it's cool to hear about the creative process and really the intensity, commitment, love, devotion that it takes to work on your craft and have it mean something to you and have it express something out in the world. And there's just something inspiring when you get to hear like how it works and why someone did something and a little bit about their history. And that's also one of the missions of Rhizo is to just be available to the truth of creating and that it doesn't have to get wrapped up in marketing or sales or advertisements and you know fame or Instagram fame or anything like that that it really is a spiritual process and a personal process, and it's so cool when other people can relate to that spiritual and personal process more than cool, really like groundbreaking and opening and vulnerable and you know we all make art in not all of us but some of us in certain ways for it to be seen and it to be engaged with and it to be shared and for it to make a feel a person feel a certain type of way and for us to feel a certain type of way in the process of actually creating it. So enjoy this week's episode chatting with a few of the contributors to volume one. And there'll be some version of this podcast with every single volume. It just seems necessary to put voice and artist statements and process pieces behind what actually gets published in the long game of Rhizo Magazine. Okay, thank you so much, and enjoy the episode. And we're excited to talk to one of our contributors this week. Her name is Vanessa LaMorte, and home is Las Vegas for you, right? Exactly. Yeah, Las Vegas, Nevada.
1: Mm -hmm. is the temp there and summertime feeling. (laughs) it's getting hot, of course. You know, I'm not too far from Death Valley. So at this point, you know, we're getting up there. Um, But monsoon season is upon us and that's my favorite. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So needed in the desert. Are you technically in the high desert as well?
1: Uh, Not technically. A little bit below. Cool.
0: -hmm. Well, so I'd love to just talk a little bit about your creative process and why you are excited to subscribe and submit to Rhizo, and just a little bit about your background so we can sort of dive into all three of those areas.
1: Perfect. Go ahead. Okay. I'm like, which part? (laughs) All of it. (laughs) Wherever Um, you want to start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, Rizo really excited me because uh, a few years ago I was having this vision of a collaborative magazine and like different contributors and artists. And I was like, this is like an amazing thing. Um, And I tried it out and it just completely failed. (laughs) It wasn't, it's not, I do, I wasn't prepared. Um, I didn't have the know-how on any of that. And, um, you know, it lasted a few months or whatever and put it to rest. And um, then when I saw you were putting this out, I was like, oh my gosh, like this feels so like home in a way, Um, just because of that connection. And I was like, yeah, Sue's going to do this like a million times better. (laughs) And (laughs) um, I was just like, wow, that's really amazing. And then just to see like, I don't know, just to kind of see how things started to form for you really excited me um, around being a part of it. And um, the mystery I want to say around like not knowing like how the first issue, right? Like not
2: mm-hmm. seeing it just
1: yet and being a part of something really fresh um, and kind of starting to sense into the other people really felt like a fun and um. Uh, just like a magic you know like tapping the cosmic web and really kind of harmonizing with the others um and so yeah I was like um I think I want to be a part of this and um when I saw your call for tarot I was like okay I think this is I think this is where I jump in um cool mm-hmm. cool so how did you get
0: interested in tarot I know that you and I actually have a similar study background uh transpersonal psychology. Which I think is always important to talk out loud because people are like, oh, well, how did you get this language set? Or why are you so into all these out there cosmic things? Yeah. And so when did tarot and and or transpersonal psych really enter your
1: space? They came together like the same week that I started graduate school. (laughs) So this was um, like the fall of 2013. And I was so I went to Sophia University in Palo Alto, California, and I was at our um, seminar. And one of the um, teaching assistants was there, and she was like, "I have this weird intuition that you'd be really good at working with a deck." And I was like, "What does that even mean?" Like, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know what a deck was. And so um, I started with Oracle, and you know, just reading colors and symbols and things like that and then working with Tarot kind of adjacent to that and getting more and more familiar and I feel like that's a lifelong study 100% like astrology might be. Um, that's another language I like to work with um, mm. but yeah, they kind of form together and it's it's fun I think to me that they form together because um, it, it just has offered my transpersonal psychology awareness with like this other like more ancient, technology and conversational piece um so they I don't know I would say that they kind of like fold in and out of each other um Mm -hmm. very cool Mm -hmm.
0: if you could pick I'm so interested to hear you know one of the archetypes out of the tarot that feels the most like you one or two
1: what would you pick oh no Sue um (laughs) (laughs) I would say the magician and the high priestess
0: Oh, okay, cool. Those are awesome. Mm -hmm.
1: But I I pull the hierophant the most, so that's what I'm learning right now. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I usually pull hermit and high priestess. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and your cancer. Always cups. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And remind me of your sun sign again. I forget off the top of my head. Aquarius, sun,
1: rising, and then Leo moon.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Cool. And then a little bit about your creative process. And I know flower essence is a big part of that. And also, just on a daily basis, how you stay in contact with that inner part of yourself. And if you have any specific rituals around creativity and bringing it to the surface
1: of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I would say that something like a kind of like a key for me is understanding that the way that I, tend to ground things is totally, well, I mean, most of us, but I feel like I really go into this unseen realm first. Like I can sense like, oh, like there's this creative impetus, something's coming up. Um, But my first thing will be to not try to manifest it or ground it or like make it tangible. Mm. Um, And first just to work with like the energetics or the subtle layers with that. Because when I try to push or like try to like go into like right into the grounding, it just it's not really it doesn't work for me. It kind of creates some frustration. So um, for me, it's more like, OK, well, I feel some creativity coming and I feel like or well, the calling to create rather. And mm-hmm. it's more like, OK, let me really receive this and like let the subtle layers in. And it kind of takes a couple of days sometimes for me if it's something really juicy. Um, And then other times it might just be like, okay, I can feel this. And I'm going to like, first just like be with the subtle and then move into, you know, where, how, like maybe it's journaling, maybe I need to paint, maybe I need to work with like floral dye. I love to do floral dyeing with like clothes. And so whatever it might be like, then that will start to inform, but I really like to leave space for the subtle. Mm, very cool so you
0: listen to really like the subtle calling and then because you just listed so many different mediums then it kind of lets you know
1: like oh let's work over here let's work over there right so it's always the same medium exactly like where where do I put this is always my question um and for like the sake of like language and astrology maybe this is useful but like I have seven planets in the 12th house in Capricorn Mm. and so (laughs) but super grounded right thank yeah. you yeah we're working on it <laughs> so there's there's something around that that you know for this kind of why I'm saying this process in this way I think that it's kind of there with that twelfth house like unseen mm-hmm. dreamy psychic energy and then kind of then going into form um yeah and then the flower essences I think is are the same thing it's like sometimes the flowers will call to me and it's like Whoa! Why do I keep seeing a dandelion, or why? Why is the synchronicity coming in, and maybe it's like about my body, some type of stagnation, or something. And then, and then usually I will get like this very clear: like it's time to make that that medicine. Like you'll either I'll find the flower; it'll be growing in my garden, or you know somehow it will find me um, Mm. or draw me to it. And so then that that creation process starts.
0: Yeah, that seems very um, Capricorn twelfth house for sure. yeah you know using all different pleasures of earth to create sort of this psychic opening oh I love that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and then any last couple things you'd like to share with us about maybe some of the trials and tribulations of being an artist or a creator out in the world and some of the ways you've dealt with that
1: um Yeah.
0: I feel the be honest, be brutally honest.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I can't create all the time, like in the ways that I, my ego wants to. And, um, because I am a creator that that's tied in with business. And so, uh, I think there's definitely been the hard part with money and like, how do I, how do I do that? And so it's working, you know, it's evolved over years, but working with my, um, like my downtime, like, okay, mm. this is not, um, you know, this is not a, a form part of your creation process. Cause like I said, that subtle layer sometimes takes a long, takes, I could take a while. I don't always know how long that's going to take. Um, so sitting with that uncomfortability sometimes can get real hard for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but,
0: uncomfortable because really the ego mind is like, well, what form and how am I going to pay for it?
1: and And what the timeline and Got it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. And so then what are some of the subtle body ways that you have been coping with that
1: discomfort so you don't really snuff out your creative force? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was in our, a session that we had that you said, don't pimp out your Capricorn. And that's has stuck with me forever. And so it's like, don't pimp out my Capricorn. And that's definitely something I would do. Yeah, <laughs> and so the ways that I work with that um, have been... I have to go into body, like some type of movement doesn't really matter. Like whether it's cycling or yoga or walking, um, I have to go into like body more, um, especially if I'm in like that, that downtime phase, um, and food, um, like not only grounding in food, but like, just, I I can start to sense that my food will match up with my creative process. Like, okay, Mm -mm. this medicine or this thing, totally, totally get that, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. That's huge. Like, my husband was just like, Do you want a pot roast sandwich before we got on this podcast? <laughs> I was like, Absolutely not. <laughs> I need my consciousness to be light and available. I really appreciate the offer, but definitely not.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can feel like what food's going to match that vibrational quality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pot roast
0: wasn't doing it for me. Uh huh. Yeah. But I think that is really, um, wise and intuitive and interesting, especially for listeners to pay attention to. Um, Also, I'm like an alternative appetite person, you know, from a human design. So that definitely resonates with me as well. But I do think it's really important to understand, like, what do I need to fuel myself with on an emotional and physical level, so that I can see this thing rise and spread and grow right in the frequency that it wants to and not just coming through maybe my demands or my heaviness. So I think you
1: described that really beautifully. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I don't know if I do it gracefully all the time. It's oh, a work not. in
0: progress. Yeah. <laughs> That's our humanness, you know, yes. <laughs> <Just> clunky clunk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and we'll look for your next column in fall equinox volume which we're excited about and I think you're going to take it in a little bit different direction and it's mm-hmm. fun for me to watch the creative process as well so I just appreciate the time and the attention and thank
1: you so much yeah thank you so I appreciate it and the whole process
0: okay great we'll talk soon
1: all right bye,
0: bye. okay here we are again on the Cast. And I'm sitting with one of the Volume 1 contributors, Avian, and we're excited to talk and put a voice to your work. How are you feeling today?
3: Good. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting.
0: Yeah, of course. It's perfect timing because you're opening a new show on June 25th, which is this weekend.
3: Correct. Saturday, we have the reception from 3 to 7 at Gallery 166 in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Um, Just did the initial setup this morning so
0: yeah how'd that very go? exciting
3: no it's it's going got a lot left to do but it's uh yeah.
0: so you'll go back tomorrow
3: yeah i we'll do the final hanging tomorrow
0: okay cool yeah so when your submission came through I was like whoa this looks super cool it's going to be in print so you know the reader won't be able to see like the actual panel or skull or whatever it may be so I was like we definitely need an artist statement with it and then when your artist statement came through I was like oh hell yeah what a banger <laughs> like, <laughs> you know like now we can actually see and feel because it it was it's yeah. tricky to translate some of that 3d stuff that you do into print so yeah I feel definitely. Like it, it worked how do you feel about it
3: um yeah because you know it's I think with my work doing encaustic with wax and then like the hand carving in it, it never really translates really well to photography. Um, which is sad for me, but at the same time, I kind of love that you have to kind of see it and experience it for yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. and then like, I started that piece, uh, over a year ago and it took me at least, uh, probably six to eight months to finish. Um, And it was painful and it was long. (laughs) My back was killing me by the end.
0: Because are you just hunching over the panel?
3: Exactly. Like I hand carve everything and I make it like, I kind of try to follow rules where like I purposely don't let myself, I do one piece at a time and try not to get too much muscle memory while I'm doing it. Mm. um to kind of create a more organic pattern to it um
0: can I just ask a question does that mean yeah. you, you try not to rush <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah basically you just like chip 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 chip. you know like god this part's taking forever
3: yeah I definitely try not to which is yeah. so hard because it's so monotonous at times mm-hmm. um but that's kind of goes along with the whole message of it is like the struggle getting through it um is kind of a reflection of like the trauma and the struggle of day-to-day life and uh, the experiences that I've gone through since uh, 2011 and Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. So yeah. um, Yeah. It kind of all ties together in a way, even if it does take a long time and hurt (laughs) really bad to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think the message behind your work is very impactful And it's good to know just sort of your process and, and why it feels so cathartic and important to be so self-expressive in that way.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I got home from Afghanistan, I was diagnosed with PTSD and I had to go to, um, the VA to get, uh, help and therapy and whatnot and what one of the things they make you do is relive the traumatic experiences over and over again until you're comfortable with them Mm -hmm. um and that kind of goes along with uh the process of finding a pattern and sticking with it and dealing with each um, little piece that i carve and uh and the process behind it is just really slow and methodical um, I have to make, I make all the paint myself using, oh, cool. um, local resources. So it's all done with wax and pigment, um, and tree resin to mm-hmm. harden the wax. And, um, all my wax comes from Tao's honey, um, which they're amazing oh, yes. over yeah. there. Um, and it's
0: yeah, cool. I just got into bees. So I've been like, looking at all their stuff.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I love, yeah. I sit down and talk to them all the time. Um, and it's just very like each piece is thought out and planned, and I have to go in with a plan, which is the hardest part for me. Um, mm-hmm. like knowing what you're going to do before you go in because you can't change it halfway through. Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: okay, let's just pause there. So, just because the nature of working with wax you can't change it or you you personally just like to have that process or it's a little bit of both
3: well you can change it the issue is that if you've started already um, you need to change it in the piece that you've already completed Mm -hmm. and where you're going forward with it very hard to um, kind of match what you've done and and I learned a lot through that piece since it took me over six months like I definitely changed my style a lot since Mm. the start of it um and I learned a lot of new things learning with the wax because I mean this was almost one of my first pieces I started on Mm -hmm. um doing encaustic and then um sorry yeah so I kind of spaced out and forgot where I was going with that but I
0: oh, know it's cool Just like learning sort of the process of not being able to change the vision right. and staying with like learning yeah. that skill
3: yeah because a lot of the pattern comes from mistakes that you make along the way and mm-hmm. you get better as you do it so it's harder to make mistakes the longer you go through working through this piece and I kind of had to force myself not To learn from my mistakes, which was so weird. It's such a weird (laughs) feeling to force yourself to mess up. Um Uh but yeah, and I just try to keep it very constant across the board.
0: Yeah, cool. It's also cool to know that it took six months, which I think a lot of times, you know, if you sort of dabble in art or you consume shit tons of media we always get to see the final product, but we don't actually see the grueling process that creates the final product. And for some reason, a lot of us keep that under wraps. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Instead of saying like, yeah, writing a book was fucking hard. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. And definitely yeah. like with writing, I feel like, uh, it's definitely different than art because with art, It's very, you can intentionally, I had this discussion the other day with another artist friend that you can intentionally hide your tool marks. But if you do that, the person who's looking at it like doesn't get um, the experience of what you're doing while you do it. So it's like, Hmm. if I intentionally go through and hide all my tool marks that I'm making while I'm hand carving this thing, Is that something I want the user to be able to see, to experience like, yeah, I just spent 12 hours working on this piece. Or do I want them to be like, oh, it's just so seamless and looks so easy to do.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, So it's it's definitely like a personal choice. And um, it's kind of enjoyable in that you can choose between that as an artist and Mm kind of leave it up to the viewer to decide on like, do they care enough to see how much work you put in or do they want it to be just something that you did really quick?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or looking perfect or manufactured or, exactly, you know, losing all the nuance in certain ways. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, I find self-expression and creativity a big part of my own healing process. Have you found that in a symbiotic way next to the PTSD diagnosis and working through that? Like, has it, this been an outlet that's been very opening and expansive?
3: Um, kinda, I, I can't say yes to like a degree because you know, it's, it's definitely a struggle still. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's times when I think it helps, but there's definitely times where I'll sit through a session and I have to stop because like, while I'm doing this, I have a lot of trouble just sitting there in the quiet and not like thinking about things while I'm doing stuff. So mm. I can, sometimes I just have to quit because it's too hard. Um, so it, it, there's definitely days where it's good, some days it's not, uh, Mm -hmm. maybe it helps in the long run i'd like to think that but to tell you i have no idea
0: yeah and i mean i'm kind of smiling over here i guess that's a part of the whole process too yeah yeah to just you know see where the road takes you in that sort of open creative way and being available to both ends of the spectrum for sure
3: no exactly
0: yeah um how long were you in the military for
3: um, I served in the 101st Airborne for five years, mm-hmm. and I was deployed to Afghanistan during all of 2011.
0: Uh huh. And 101st Airborne is that like infantry, like on the ground or in the air?
3: Um, they are technically they're air assault now. Oh. Um, they do helicopters mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did all logistics with uh, refueling and. Um, driving around and uh, Mm -hmm. convoy type stuff like that,
0: okay. And what you're are you from Taos or where are you from originally? I'm
3: originally from Boston, Massachusetts.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I spent some time in Connecticut, so it all blends Mm -hmm. together out there in certain ways. (laughs) Yeah,
3: everything's hilly and everything's green.
0: Yeah. yeah so what led you to working with wax was that more recent do you work across medium or were um, you just like i don't know just give it a shot
3: yeah kind of kind of all of them um it was originally my wife's idea she wanted to, we were living in providence rhode island mm-hmm. and RISD was offering um a continued learning course in encaustic and my wife really wanted to try it um mm-hmm. So we both signed up for the course and I just really took to it. When I was in college, I minored in sculpture and I did a lot of wood carving. Mm -hmm. Um, And like instantly wax just felt like a really cool way to do woodworking, like uh, wood carving stuff, but way easier without the pain in your hands and all that. So I kind of just picked it up really quick and just ran with it. Um, And over the past uh, couple of years, I've just been, I kind of found my niche and just have been really pushing it and experimenting and learning as much as I can.
0: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And then one of the last questions and like specifically working with skulls and bones, like what's the roots in that? What what's the reason for you as an artist?
3: Oh, that's a deep one. Uh so <laughs> I was when I, it would uh, open
0: up a trapdoor. <laughs> oh, it does. So
3: when I was in the army, um, I had the option to train as a mortuary affairs officer. Mm-hmm. Um and
0: just pause for the listener and for me mortuary affairs means
3: it means uh basically i am trained to run a morgue or Mm -hmm. um a body collection point in case of a wartime situation um i i know how to dispose of bodies properly and prepare them for uh eternal rest if you will
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and that's such a like service of dignity
3: it is. It's taken very seriously by the okay. army. And yeah. to tell you the truth, it was one of my favorite things I did while I was in the military, Yeah, which is kind of weird, but whatever. Um, oh, no,
0: I get it. I lived in um, Port-au-Prince, Haiti for a while oh, right. at a Catholic hospital. And there are really no morgues in Haiti. Mm-hmm. And it was privately funded but they would collect bodies and do services every tuesdays and thursdays just for the dignity of those that passed so those bodies wouldn't just be left you know on the side of the road so definitely yeah definitely understand the importance of that and so Mm -hmm. bones in your work relate to
3: that um yeah i spent about a month working in the um richmond virginia morgue Mm -hmm. um kind of helping out doing um doing autopsies and whatnot and I kind of took to it uh I definitely like it was not an easy thing and I didn't love doing it but it really was just like an emotional experience that really changed um how I view death and how I just process that kind of information now and I think anybody that works Mm. in the field of death kind of has that same process through their experiences um your whole just you kind of have to find your own way of processing death um so it doesn't weigh you down too much yeah um and yeah that kind of just led me on The path of being trying to give like it, and also like my love for animals. So it's like trying to just kind of create something for an animal that existed that kind of adds to their memory and can continues their life going forward, and Mm -hmm. um, just trying to hold some sort of reverence to the animal that uh, I'm working with.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful, and I think you know, your craft in combination with that, you know, can definitely feel some really strong symbolism there. Mm
3: -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, great. Anything else you want to share really about your work or your creative process? We're all
3: ears. Um, Not at the moment. Not that I can think of off the top of my head, really.
0: Okay, great. Well, I really appreciate your submission to Rhizo and the time to sit down and, and do this interview and podcast with cast and really just like all of your vision and commitment to like bringing your self-expression into the world it's awesome to watch and thank you so much
3: thanks for having me and thank you guys for all the work you guys put into the Rizo magazine and it came out amazing
0: Yay, yeah, we put you (laughs) as the finale. We were like,
3: I know, thank you. I was very surprised by that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that diggy did the layout. I was like, it's up to you, you just put, you know, give us a good finale here.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it came out awesome. I was super (laughs) excited.
0: (laughs) Okay, great. Well, I'm sure we'll talk in the future at some point. And thank you so much.
3: Awesome, thanks again. Okay, here
0: we are again with another contributor to Volume 1, RISO Magazine. Um, I'm so excited to sit down with Becky Kratz. How are hey. you doing today? Hey, hey. Good.
4: I'm <laughs> I excited as well.
0: <laughs> oh, good. And it's so nice to actually be able to talk with you. I feel like for the last two years, we've talked I over know. email and Google Drive uh, and all of those things.
5: I know. Yeah. It's exciting. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so we probably met maybe four or five years ago, would be my guess.
5: Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I did yoga teacher training um, at, through the yoga bar in Cincinnati, and okay, um, cool, cool. one of the workshops was yours that was kind of in the, the course, and I attended your workshop, and I think that was the first time, although I don't know if we actually talked like person to person, but um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, it, it definitely changed me. <laughs> and then, you know, after that, I think that I kind of followed you on Instagram and all the different things. And then we uh, yeah, contacted each other. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's it was awesome to watch the missions come through, you know, like people I knew and people I didn't know. So it's always cool to also share people's work that I've also followed and known for a while. Yeah. So, what made you excited to submit to RISO and why did you pick that particular piece? And if you could just talk a little bit about that?
2: Sure.
5: I first of all just love any creative endeavor. I mean, I admire people who, who organize and put together things where they're sharing various artists, like poetry, um, you know, visual art. Um, I just I think that's great, and <laughs> I you know would always love to contribute to that and to support it. Um, I think it's like one thing to have a standalone piece, but to see everything together um, Mm -hmm. and how that speaks differently than a piece does on its own, kind of magical in a way. Like if you are glazing a pot, you know, what color you're kind of intending it to be, but once it's fired, it comes out completely different. So in that way, I love the surprise. Like, you know, I loved uh, when it came in the mail, I was so excited, you know, jumping up and down and then I'm just (laughs) looking at it just, you know, how everything fit together, it really, um, it it was kind of like that process, like, you know, pulling it out of the kiln, right? Like, how does it look? How's everything together? And it just, um, so I I love that. And I was excited to submit and be a part of that process. Um, Cool. As for the piece I submitted, um, it was interesting, because I spend, you know, some pieces take me many days, you know, weeks, other pieces are, you know just come to me and go a little bit quicker this piece actually was one of the quicker ones and so when i was thinking about submitting it i was like well you know maybe i should do one that took me a little bit more time or has more detail um but i just kept coming back to this one i was like nope it's this one and i didn't even question it so much i just i felt called to submit this one um, mm-hmm. i wasn't even sure like when as i was painting it sometimes i don't have like a clear vision i just uh, when I'm in that flow of state, I just, whatever's coming to me, try to put it out, knowing that it's not necessarily my own. I don't even look at it as my own at that point. So just putting it out um, in, you know, as quickly as I can before I lose it. So um, totally. I didn't even question it. It just, it felt right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very cool. And I know a little bit about, so, well, actually I know a little bit about it because of what you've shared on social media. And then one of the reasons that I was like, oh, I have to have Becky do the sketches for transitory nature, because you have this like bleeding technique that looks so Mm -hmm. unique. It's not charcoal. It's not watercolor. It's like not pen, but it's not pencil. You know, it's like (laughs) kind of all of those things in one. And then when you started making your own pigments, I was like, whoa, that's on another level in terms yeah. of detail <laughs> yeah. and like this blending. And I think that what was really cool about the submission for volume one is that it had like an, like eerie tones,
2: very mm-hmm. natural
0: tones, but also like very eerie. And I thought that that was just like unique, you know, because I think sometimes when you see like a female in the painting or it's a female artist, sometimes it can be more commercial or more pink or you know, yeah. that type of a feeling. And that wasn't it at all. It was just much more like earthy. And then when mm-hmm. I asked you to write the artist statement with it so that people could really understand sort of your creation process and and how you make those pigments, if you could just share a little bit more about that.
5: Yeah, sure. So a little bit about, well, first of all, I'm a Scorpio, so <laughs> Maybe that's where the eerie is. Oh. Oh, oh, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so a little, I don't know try to keep it a little mysterious but um (laughs) as far as the the pigment making um yeah it's you know ever since I was little I you know was the person out there collecting rocks on hikes you know my head was always down looking for you know the prettiest rock or one with cool textures and um always befriending them they felt like you know they were little spirits or in there or something um and so I um you know got the you know, thought, hey, like if I love hands-on things, like anything I can be using my hands, um, I really love. And so it's just mm-hmm. another layer of with creating my art, a little bit more hands-on, um, being connected to the materials I use. Um, that really started collecting different rocks from different places. I mean, nothing extreme. Like I wasn't traveling, you know, far away, but just like on my hikes or like down by the stream, or you know, that um, held special memories or you know, beautiful colors. And then um, is what I, you know, how I do it is I just take a hammer to them. <laughs> Seems a little cold, but um, I break <laughs> them apart, <laughs> and then you know a mortar and pestle to get them even smaller. Um, so get them as small as I can, and then um, you know I take like a mesh strainer to get even a little bit smaller pieces, and then I uh, pour water into it, and then um, I take another cup <laughs> and I pour mm-hmm. it from one cup to the other, and so all of the heavy pieces, you know, stay at the bottom of the one cup and only thing that's left are really those lightest pieces of rock. Um, and then you simply just dry them out and you have this like beautiful, like dusting of color. Um, that's essentially mm-hmm. just the rock. Um, and it's really simple. You just mix that with walnut oil and you have yourself this beautiful paint. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, cool. Cause I have all these little vials of just dustings of colors with labels of like where I got them or who gave me the rock. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it's just That's another cool. layer, I feel connected to it. Um, so sometimes I'll try to do a piece with a rock from a certain place because it, it came from that place and it, it's an image of that place. It doesn't always work out that way, but I still think like it, the, the energy of the rocks really do speak, um, I kind of said in the artist statement, but they they speak on this level, I, I couldn't even, um, translate necessarily so Mm -hmm. you know a lot of times the the drawings are really simple but I think the depth really comes from that that element of you know really putting the earth into them
0: um totally and then can you see the color that you're going to get from that rock from looking at (laughs) it or does that change as you actually start to mortar and pestle it
5: yeah, that's a great question. Some of both. I, you know, some come pretty close, others not at all. Um, I try not to put too much expectation into it, you know, at first be like, oh my gosh, that's like a the you know the best mm-hmm. orange rock ever. Yeah. And then it comes out a little more brown. Like, oh that's not so I try to now instead of going out with one in mind, like I need to find a blue rock, because that's how it used to be, you know, like blue is hard to find. So i would have like this idea. I just try to collect them and then um even when I mix them with walnut oil, it changes a little bit. And Mm -hmm. again, it was kind of back to like that glazing of a pot. I kind of, I love it. You know, I have um, an idea in mind, but I just have to kind of go with it. If I get too rigid about it, it it doesn't come out. Um, Mm. And I think that that's, it's helpful for me because in most areas of my life, I am pretty rigid like order. So it's this area where I kind of just let go a little bit. And I think that's um, why I love it so much
0: yeah yeah that's cool that's also interesting to hear sort of the the way that it challenges your inner nature to have all these different forms of expression and and sort of like check the egoic boundaries of like well we're just gonna have to work with the colors that we get and then that really like teaches you in certain ways about other behavioral sets yeah yeah Mm -hmm. very cool and what kind of creative rituals do you have? It could be extravagant or simple that keeps you coming back to this process and, you know, drawing in general that you're like reinvigorated and, and what does that look like from day to day?
5: Yeah. So day to day, I mean, I think it's the one constant. It's the one thing I've always had in my life was creating something Um look, and I have gone through many phases of, Hey, I'm doing like kind of ink right now, or I'm doing, um, I mean, I've even, you know, I've done like needle felting or like different, like textile type of art, but always creating something. Um, it's, it's been necessary for me. Um, right now I have two little kids. So, you know, before Mm -hmm. I used to wake up on a weekend, I would go straight downstairs, like in my pajamas, get some coffee. And I would just paint for, you know, eight hours straight, you know, forgetting to get up to pee and now it looks much different. And at first, I think I, I did struggle with well, how is this? How is this going to look? Um, and I think, you know, that you care about something enough, it's you just have you find the time, it looks mm-hmm. different, but it's not an excuse. And it brings out different, I'm discovering new things I wouldn't have found if I just always painted eight hours straight in a row. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, you know, I wake up in the morning still, and I'll get like, you know, maybe two hours in of working on art. But if I'm outside with, you know, my children, hey, look, we're looking at rocks together and like showing them like, let's go, you know, make some paint and, and finding ways to incorporate that throughout my day. So a lot of times throughout the day, I'm, you know, making paint or doing that sort of thing. Um, Thinking about like a sketch in my head. um, And then really um, just finding time here and there. I mean, I'll be sometimes traveling, walking like a baby in my backpack with like a piece of canvas and, Oh, here's a surface. I can put it down. And so I think it's finding that balance of for for me personally, how can I be present with those around me? Um, Mm -hmm. But also sharing a part of my life that um, is meaning, you know, it's important to me and I don't want to hide that either. Um, So definitely getting time to myself, Um, But also doing it throughout the day has kind of been how I'm finding it now in my life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that sounds so symbiotic. And also what an example, too, of that, like this creative process is an ongoing thing. And then you get to share it with your children and other people in your life. So it's not this compartmentalized thing. It's this very, you know, it's a weaving together. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then I know you have a meditation and a spiritual practice and how does your spiritual practice or yoga practice affect your art?
5: Oh, yeah. Great question. Again, that's my morning is my time. I am a morning person. So that is the time that I find to sit. Um, Again, that has gone through quite some different phases, you know, since having kids, it just sitting, you know, at first, I was like, my yoga practice doesn't look like what it used to look like. And again, it's been a humbling experience of, well, why were you doing it exactly? You know, is it to, (laughs) um, you know, is it to impress people and you know, I I never thought it was but it really made you look at those things like, maybe not impress others, but myself, right? Like what I could physically do. um, It was more of that. um, What do I think about myself if I can't do the things I used to do physically? Um, and really just rolling out the mat and just sitting. And so the morning is the time I do that. Um, and sometimes in that space, images do come to me, um, or just colors, um, you know, an idea will pop in. I don't normally try to think of an idea, but it just kind of flows, you know, sometimes it'll just, I'll see something and -hmm. then that's, that's it. That'll be the other, you know, the next idea. Um, it certainly evolves. It doesn't look the way it, it you know, from my head to the canvas um, doesn't always translate one to one, but certainly things do come to me during that time in that space of of really being quiet and listening.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely resonate with that as like different parts of your life get louder. It's almost as if your sitting practice has to get quieter. Yeah. And like technique yep. can fall away so that there's more space for inspiration and just pure prana to move.
5: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then I think maybe last question, which is super cool. You know, when I asked you to do the subtle body sketches for transitory nature and you were like oh my husband's an artist too and you know he can help with this process and I was like oh I love that yeah it's <laughs> kind of what's going on the seat ce- behind the scenes in my home too it's like damn, yeah damn
2: <laughs> I know oh my my God, if, people, this.
5: <laughs> if people knew what he did like he and then it's, you know, he's always behind the scenes but he is I mean we are a team in pretty much everything we do so yeah
0: yeah that's super cool and you know, he seems to have, he also was published in volume one RISO, his own, you know, creative process and what's that like sharing that space together?
5: Yeah. Um, I love it. I mean, yeah, we are both are creatives and so it's just fun to have someone to talk ideas about all the time. Um, and it's it's the things he's good at, I am not good at nor do I necessarily care to be good at and vice versa I think so you know I love the hands-on the painting and the you know charcoal and he is uh loves photography he's you know good at web design uh anything technical Mm -hmm. you know like setting things up for me um and so I think it's been a a good balance um you know I like to create the things and he's you know will photograph them make them look pretty because I can't I can't do that and he loves you know that sort of thing like Product mm-hmm. photography, landscape photography, um, and I, I, I love to see the way that he sees things, especially for photography. Um, you know, I, I see something and it's just it's so beautiful, and then I take a picture and it does not translate at all. I'm like, no, that's not how that's not how it is, or you know, that's not the what I'm feeling inside. Um, and it's it's I think it's certainly like really challenging to capture something, and and give that feeling behind it and he's really good at that um and so yeah I think we we make a great team we don't always know how to um what to do with it if that makes sense you know Mm -hmm. we have these things um that we love to do and you know we know that we can work well together but we're not always sure like what to do with it or what path to take with it and so that's something we're kind of always learning and it's always evolving, you know, sometimes we'll start a video not knowing why we're doing it. I'll do writing and he'll kind of be editing. And we're like, we don't even really know what we're doing it for. But it's, you know, I think it's the experience of doing something together is what we really love. Um, And so it doesn't necessarily matter if it ever even goes out into the world. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's really that experience of working together that we love.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I think just committed to the process your own creative process and then committed to a creative process with a collaborator and then on top mm-hmm. of that the collaborator is your romantic partner it's just yeah. all these different levels of like intensity and healing and growth and frustration and, yes. <laughs> heads and you know, all yeah those things
5: yeah and I think it's beautiful because there's no one else that you know I think both of us I have you know our honesty with each other I couldn't necessarily have with with someone else um so better for worse you know we can just <laughs> get to it but we also yeah. know you know like the things we're working on like we can't get um you know defensive here we just gotta you know like we gotta take it and move on you know we can't get too caught up in things like that so
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's super wise Okay, well, you know, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. And I really appreciate just all the time and attention. It was super cool to also have your husband in this volume. And I also loved being able to share really the process and the story behind the way that you paint and make your own pigments. So, you know, thank you so much for sitting down to be on the podcast. And thanks for being a part of the creative community of Rizzo.
5: Yes. Thank you for putting this together and thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Anytime. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll All talk right. in the future.
5: I'm sure we will. Thanks too. I'll <laughs> Bye. talk to
1: you soon. Bye.
5: And welcome back
0: with one of our other contributors to volume one Summer Solstice Rhizo. And I'm sitting with Torin Nelson. How are you doing today? I'm very well, Sue. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. It's great to hear your voice and put your voice to your work. And you wrote a piece called Borealis, A World Within a World for Summer Solstice. And we love <laughs> the submission. Thank you. Yeah. And when did your writing journey really begin? And what was that process like where you were like, okay, I'm going to start giving some time to this and really investing in the craft of my voice and
4: writing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's hard to place a, a starting point per se. I've been very deeply, heavily involved in the art since I was four years old. I was in theater um, and I have a deep respect for film and literature, and um, I just kind of always knew that's that's the direction I'd always go with my life, is something along those lines. Um, mm-hmm. And I, when I was very young, I wanted to write children's stories, and I don't know where that came from or what, you know, n- nothing really manifested from it other than, it was, I was just hooked. And I did write a few stories and I did try to submit them and they never got accepted. So it kind, of, I think that's where it fizzled. But mm-hmm. um, then I looked into screenwriting. I actually did take a screenwriting class in, in UNM in Taos many, many, many years ago. Um, and then I met my husband and he was a prolific reader and writer himself. And we just indulged in, in filling our house full of books, reading all the time and writing. And that's, it's just become habit for me now. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, totally. And, you know,
0: sort of dealing with, oh, I really love this dream, but it's not really getting picked up and then picking it back up. What's your, you know, new newfound, newfound perspective on sharing your work and just it takes a lot of time to really contribute to a craft. So like, what's that inner dialogue like now? Just like, I love this. I'm going to keep putting it out there. And, you know, what's that process look like for you in, in your inner world?
4: I mean, I think you nailed it when you said it takes time. It, for me, it's a lifetime process. I'm in no rush to produce anything for the public. But I do know that I kind of want to, you know, sublimate my art, so to speak, and do want to share it with others. Um, so I'm really patient about the process. I've come to really respect, um, elder artists or artists who have been curating their art for decades Mm -hmm. and you always kind of see them, you know, you, you see the progress and in the end, their opus usually shows up somewhere towards the end. Um, not to say that that has to happen to me, but I'm, I'm okay with the process taking decades. And I am looking at writing, um, you know, novels and maybe some screenplays. But I'm, I'm a mother, and a, that that's a whole story that I'm writing right now. So <laughs> that's lovely to be at. And so I just accept that it's going to be, you know, my life. Yeah. How old is your daughter? She's five and a half. Oh, cute. And you grew up in Taos, correct? I am a a native Taosite. Yeah, I was born and raised and my first move out of Taos was to San Francisco in my early 20s. Mm -hmm. So I've been here a while and then I keep coming back. That's where I am right now.
0: Yeah, continuing to come back.
4: (laughs) Yeah, that routine. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And how is raising your daughter here? I mean, you grew up here and it seems to be magnetic for you. You know, what's a little bit about that process like?
4: I feel, um, I feel like it's really good to get to share with her all these things. I, I've, now that she's five and a half, she's very curious and asks lots of questions. I find myself lately saying, well, when I was a kid, this building looked like this. <laughs> or when I was a kid, you got to do this here. And that's starting to become very magical
1: mm-hmm. because
4: she gets to imagine it. And it's, it's opening up her eyes to the, the land she lives on. Mm. Um, So that's really cool. We we came back here right before the pandemic, the summer before the pandemic, and that felt serendipitous as well. So I have a totally newfound appreciation for being in a small town. (laughs) Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah, I grew up in a small town as well. So it just feels so natural. And I'm so appreciative of it as well. Absolutely. And then your relationship to land, right, that obviously came through in your writing and your piece for Rhizo. And does that affect a lot of the writing you put into the world and your own creative process? Is there a sense of place identity that affects the way that you create?
4: Um, Not necessarily. I have to admit that has been relatively new in my writing. I've always been more um, focused on uh, the human condition is my absolute favorite topic. I could talk about that for days and write about it for days and years. And, um, and then turning to the land, you know, admittedly being in a, a circumstance where there's lots of talk of climate change and what mm-hmm. the human element is in that I've definitely turned towards it. Then I started to formally study permaculture and, um, at the Jeff Lawton Institute online Mm -hmm. and coming to learn how to just build a forest. The idea that I could build a forest became intensely, overwhelmingly appealing to me. So (laughs) I've been, my mind has been there. And then, you know, Taos Mountain, it's not the Boreal Forest, which is what this piece is written about, but it's not too different.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: Um, And so it just... It just called to me to talk about that. Plus, my um, my ancestral lineage comes from Scandinavia and Northern Europe, where the boreal forest, you know, predominates next to Canada. So, I don't know. I just had that kind of click with that
5: that mm-hmm.
4: landscape. Yeah, very cool.
0: And I think that's such a interesting current to watch in your own interest of really deep, deep, deep dives into the human condition. And now it's like a crossover with climate change in relationship to land, like really not that far away from the human condition, if not deeply linked.
4: Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the themes that we're cropping up lately is what did our ancestors and what what did the primitives do with the land and it's clear we feel like we've made mistakes and I don't like to do too much focus on climate change. It's just so politically heated that it's not necessarily where my interests lie, but more, you know, our relationship with the land is definitely where I hone in. And admittedly, I think humans are tad bit abusive sometimes (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) with evidence, right? (laughs) So so, um, I do mention that. I do have to mention that because that is an issue.
0: Mm -hmm, Definitely. Yeah. um, Self-abuse and then the way that that manifests in our outward behavior, I think, towards other humans or our environment, for sure. I think we're.
4: Well, and you can go from self-abuse to healing that self-abuse. By doing something like gardening, it's another avenue and another segue I've had my my sights on. So um, I don't know. It's just it just seems like the right thing to talk about.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree, especially with Taurus North Node this year. So just a lot of call to like land actions that are cultivating that relationship, like long-term sustainable
4: relationship. Right. And yeah. slow movement, I think, is something you've mentioned about this time period. And I think that's really apropos to accepting what's going on in the climate and how to, you know, how to garden requires, you know, your patience mm. and your, your ability to observe rather than do, 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 do. Because if you just do, if you just are constantly active on the land, you make pretty massive mistakes. Mm. Um, totally. So, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe just a a
0: couple last few things really about your creative and artistic journey, where you think it's going and why you were excited to submit to (laughs) RISO.
4: Yeah. um, Like I said, I, you know, I'm in this for life and um, I've submitted, I have some pieces on medium.com because I appreciated that it was just my own publication. So, so to speak.
1: Um
4: um, I don't, I did not love the platform wholly. So I'm not active there. Uh, I was yeah, It act- can be
0: a funny place. It can totally, it's be a, a funny place. really
4: funny place. Yeah. It's, it's got a really big promise on it. And then you get into it and you go, Oh, this isn't as easy as I had hoped. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of an ocean. I'll just say that. Um, and then, you know, speaking of other, Tech oceans, I, I, you probably could see me be more active, although not so much lately, on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, where I found Rhizo. And um, there was just this, you know, from the aesthetic to the idea that we did not have to, you know, compete with advertisements and marketing and that we could all just put a little piece in this gorgeous little display it was right up my alley. So
0: cool. Yeah.
4: I'm very grateful that I got this opportunity to do that. Um but yeah like I said I don't really have a exact direction yet. I just finished a certificate in yoga. So I'm a registered yoga teacher and I'm working on a permaculture certificate. Um and I I got a bachelor's degree in culture anthropology. And so I'm I'm very much uh, a person who's synthesizing material all the time <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah we've been the,
4: yeah, the web and eventually <laughs> that's going to end up in words in some way shape or form I just don't know what medium and I just don't know exactly what the story is so mm-hmm.
0: perfect well it's arriving I it's think arriving. we both know that
4: <laughs> yeah absolutely Okay.
0: Thank you so much. One for your time and effort and your craft and contributing to volume one, right? We deeply appreciate it. And thanks for putting your voice to your work. We also appreciate that. And thank you so much for the time for being on Rhizocast this week.
4: Back at you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's a beautiful, beautiful little magazine.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll talk soon and maybe whenever, we'll because I'm quite a hermit, I get the sense you might be too. We'll probably just see each other around. <laughs> I
4: think so. One of these days. One of these days.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Okay, and we're back with another one of our contributors to Volume One, Rhizo Magazine, and Elaine. And I are actually friends, which is cool, and we've known each other for maybe six or seven years now, and we used to see each other a lot more, but not as much now since I'm in New Mexico. But welcome to Rhizocast, Castellane. How are you feeling?
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing well, thanks. Okay, good. It's good to talk to you today.
0: I know, I'm psyched. So I want to talk, well, first I want to ask you all things about your beautiful house, but we'll get there in a second. <laughs> But first, I want to just talk to you about your writing, your poetry, and side note is that your bio was the best. (laughs) It was just too long (laughs) to fit it all. But I just wanted to make that comment right out of the gate because sometimes we can get so serious with like, our creative works and what we do out in the world, and reading your full long form bio, I was like, oh my god, I love
2: Oli. <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely don't take myself very seriously most of the time,
0: <laughs> and I think that's one of the reasons—not one of the reasons—but you're like so light-hearted, and you can tell that you are very creative and childlike and have this huge imagination and that really seeps into lots of different parts of your personality so i definitely love that thank you okay so in terms of your poetry when did it start and how often do you sort of touch in with what words are arising and how often do you put them down on the page
2: um so when it started um, my grandpa has a story that um, he remembers more clearly than I do. It definitely sounds like me though, and I believed him when he told me this. Um, but he told me a couple years ago that I was playing on a softball team, which I did in first grade and second grade with a very short softball career. <laughs> and um, I would just sit in the outfield and play with the clovers and I um told him one day when I he came to watch a game and it was pretty obvious I was not checked into what was going on um with with my team and everything and he said what were you doing and I told him I was writing poetry. No. Oh, and it definitely does sound like me. I don't specifically remember that. So I guess it's my fascination with words and that art form has been as long as I've known how to talk. Um, and I just, it's something that just comes out of me. Um, I have seasons where I'm writing more. Um, and then there, there were several periods of years that I didn't write. But um, it was, I think, in 2016 that a family member gave me a journal for Christmas And because she knew I liked to write and I was just like, well, I guess writers write. So I should, I should do that again. And it was something that I had kind of let go of. And then ever since then I have um, just made it, made it a point to try to develop my craft Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's not a daily thing. It's like um, as time permits, as um, you know, willingness and inspiration permit, Mm -hmm. and inspiration comes
0: what kind of like inspiration hits is it mostly from like climbing being outside joyous moments like what sort of lights up the inspiration centers
2: well I was thinking about this question today and I just feel like the things that inspire me is kind of a long list um when I wrote I think across the board, though, just being in nature, being outside, and music always always inspire me. And when I wrote the poem that um, that was shared in the volume one of Rizzo, that was a rollerblading day, and I was remember listening to beautiful music in my earphones and just on the rollerblade trail of the little Miami River, and it was just so beautiful in the summertime and
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I was just on that trail when so many of those words were, um, not like a whole poem, but more like a calling totally. or just feeling like the universe was speaking to me mm-hmm. and it just kind of came out of that prayer or that desire. Yeah. That's super cool. And, um, one thing that encourages me and inspires me too is just, and I was kind of had this in my mind when I was writing that poem in particular and some other ones. Um, I am afraid I wouldn't pronounce this person's name right at all, but I'm going to try because he is the author of this quote, um, Ramana Maharshi. Mm -hmm, And he said something to the effect of God, guru and self are the same. And having confidence in that and choosing to believe that um, gives me a lot of confidence in my just creative expression and pursuit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think you've got to have that sort of inner self-trust of like, yeah, like I'm divine and what I'm putting out in the world is divine and sometimes it's divinely beautiful and sometimes it's divinely ridiculous. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a journey. There's um, journals and journals and only a fraction of that is anything I have shared with the world. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. It and takes a lot.
0: What you said a couple moments ago is really brilliant, which is writers write. You know, and I think that that's sometimes forgotten that there's the. my sister and I were just talking about you might have this like creative graveyard of all of these things where maybe you might put it somewhere or maybe it was really just an expression of you, you know, to exercise your own creativity and watch
2: yourself do it. Absolutely. Just like in a way, kind of just keep moving um, because it's not always going to be the most amazingest thing that you know you've ever written but just to keep just to keep moving is really important mm-hmm,
0: totally. it. and then this is I have a like similar process like words come to me when I'm physically moving and so I won't like stop to write them down I'll literally just like take a note in my brain like when I have a moment to write that down I will and so when you're like moving in nature and rollerblading and you, know, you and I met through rock climbing and I know that's a big part of my sort of creative excitement to be outside and how do you sort of capture words when you're like oh I'm not near your notebook or like what's the sort of way that your consciousness organizes itself when it's like oh I really need to get that down on paper.
2: It's a bit of a struggle to be honest I um it's probably no surprise to you I am very, very ADHD, mm-hmm. and um, my memory is very fleeting, oftentimes. And um, the one, like sometimes, it's it's as if though there's just a theme that just keeps pressing upon me for several days in a row, um, over a course of like a month or so. And the the poem that um, until we remember everything was like that, and I finally it was like much later in the summer, it was just like, I have to just get this down. And I ended up getting as much as I could and just leaving it very rough and skeletal for, I think two years. And then, um, I go, I comb through things and was like, Oh yeah, I want to turn this into something. And then within just a few minutes, it was like, Mm -hmm. it was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So sporadic, (laughs) sporadic attempts and sometimes I use the note function in my phone to write little memos that's been really helpful mm-hmm. but just like you were saying just like a a part of the phrase or enough to trigger the rest of it yeah it's always a good idea I find I regret it when I when I don't take the time to even at least like jot down a little bit and something I'm trying to do more I have like so many notebooks now Mm-hmm. of all sizes that just yeah, are scattered like
0: everywhere Years, it'll be so cool to look back through all of them like once you've accumulated all of that yeah and I think it's cool it, 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 it is fun um, until we remember everything is like it has a movement cadence to it which is cool to see where it's very like like the cadence is just obvious in the words chosen So I love to know that your process is also like really generated by moving, like physically moving.
2: I think that's definitely true. And I'm I'm glad you said that and noticed that because I'm very passionate about poetry being read out loud. Um, Other, other forms of writing. It's, it's not as crucial Mm -hmm. with prose, obviously, but I am always very passionate about other people experiencing my poems. Like I hope, when people read my poems and see them on paper, I always hope that they I leave quietly to them like just softly read the words aloud mm. um, yeah that's because a great that's suggestion. that's what I do with poetry yeah um, that's, that's a how great I enjoy other people's poetry, question. and that's something a lot of us take great care to um, to find that sound and to find that i mean it's not music, but it's not dissimilar from music either, so the the audio is, is mm-hmm. really important.
0: Yeah. And that's like a skill all in itself, I think, to sort of pick the right syllables to create the imagery and create the rhythm. You know, I think that that's something you've got to sort of practice as a writer. So when I read it, that was the first thing I noticed I was like, oh, hell yeah, that's
2: kind of like in its own rhythm. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is something that takes, um, it takes effort and crossing out and saying out loud and crossing out and it, it takes work sometimes for sure. Mm -hmm. So sort of just to like wrap
0: up here, what is on the horizon for you? One creatively and two, I know you're giving so much energy to your house in the red and just like a little bit of snapshot about your life and things you're working on.
2: Well, I, I, I'm just right now trying to just continue to just keep on just writing short things and then sometimes crafting in my free time. Um, I do have some, like, long-term projects um, with my writing, and one of them is um, I have the title in my mind as A Nurse's Note, um, and that would just be more of my, my experience um, as as a nurse working in long-term care. Mm -hmm. And that's just something that weighs on me that I want to, to write. Um, It feels, that feels much less creative though, since it's um, just a different nature. Mm -hmm. Um, I am, I am very excited about the opportunity of sharing my work with Rizzo. And um, I have pursued publication um, about a year and a half ago for like six months. And then I kind of gave up on it for a while. Um so that that's another reason why I was very excited to be included um with your magazine. But I don't really know. I now I don't have a clear direction creativity, creativ- creatively there. Mm-hmm. Um full time job takes time and is a drain on energy and then just other pursuits and interests also. Mm-hmm. Totally. So What's like, of like course, the, the rock climbing and the red?
0: Yeah. What's like the um, vision for writing about nursing? Is would be sort of some of the things that are challenging. Like I'm just curious about the door inward there.
2: Sure. Um, I have this hope in humanity that if people were to understand what life is really like for elderly people living in long-term care, that things would change. Mm. And, in the, and, um, and that weighed heavily on me for years before the pandemic. And then in the crucible of COVID, of course, everything got so much worse. And I, I have hope in history when I look at the Ombudsman Act, I believe that was in like 1980s, That really revolutionized for the better and gave more rights to patients and elderly people. Mm -hmm. And it's we've we're not as bad as we once were. When I think of how in America historically um, medical professionals have treated institutionalized people, Um, you know, restraints are not allowed anymore. Like it's improved slightly, but it's still so far to go. Mm. And I, and I, it absolutely, I believe can be better. I believe a lot of the things that I saw as problems, both um, that were just chronic and systemic are fixable. Um, Mm. Cool. At least, at least in large part, a lot of, so I just, I just, it was just, it's a hope to change things for elderly people. Mm-hmm. In those situations, and sort of
0: like describing what it's like to be institutionalized on their side, and like really the untold stories that you basically get to see every day
2: of the week. Yeah, just exactly, and um, and issues that are systemic in healthcare, like their their own personal stories. I do have a note two notebooks full of just cute little things that. Like old people say the cutest thing sometimes. And that's, that's one thing I definitely want to include in it. Um, and then other things, just the communication between pharmacies, um, and just within healthcare, um, the way that decisions are made and staffing is allocated, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, it's pretty abysmal and could be, um, could be much better, um, with a little bit more regulation, too. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, cool. I mean, I'm excited to read that. I think that it's always interesting to read from an insider's perspective of all the things that you can't see from the outside. So, that alone is definitely intriguing,
2: and it's just it's they struggle, I feel like a lot of elderly people who are institutionalized struggle to maintain a voice um, in the community. There is, there's just so much isolation associated with it that, that it's not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. A good and one. there's still these amazing, interesting people yeah. um, with so many stories. And just as as a poet and someone who cares about stories, that's another aspect that it's it seems a waste for all of that to just be lost into silence in these little rooms. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so just a desire to share that for
0: them. No, that's a good title. Lost in silence. Okay, great. I mean, I was so excited to see your submission and include it in the first volume and I just love and respect you so much Elaine we've been climbing friends for a while and you know it's kind of like you when you meet someone climbing you get to know them really quickly because you're in serious situations together (laughs) and then you stay friends for a long time because you really trust them and it's cool to be able to platform your work and share your poetry I just feel honored to do that.
2: Thank you so much it's a wonderful opportunity. Okay. And I miss climbing with you, too. I know, I know. you got to come on to New
0: Mexico. <laughs> I agree. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Ryzo Cast. If you love this episode, please download, subscribe, share it, and pass it along to a friend. Please subscribe to our Rhizo Magazine subscription at www.rhizomagazine.com. You can find Sue Hunt's work, your host, at www.suehunt.com. We love bringing you these in-depth conversations. Please remember the suggestions of our guests and hosts are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as actionable advice. This podcast is a resource for general information, education, and artistic inspiration. RISO is not liable for your decisions to implement information from this podcast.